Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Barty Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. It's time now for Why It Matters. We're turning our attention this morning to this report by Asian Development Bank, uh, ADB. And it says that the region has been relatively resilient in terms of foreign direct investment. Yeah, let's take a look at the numbers more closely. Yeah, So foreign direct investment slipped 1.3 percentage points to 53.6% in 2020. Compare this with the global average decline of 34.7%. The study also found that East Asia and Southeast Asia were actually the largest recipients in the region, attracting roughly 80% of Asia's inward FDI. A couple of interesting points as well. 24% of FDI into the region from 2003 to 2020 went into digital services mm. on average. In fact, uh, on with uh, East Asia and South Asia, the main destination. So now that we're here, 2022, um, can we expect the FDI to go on a rebound? Let's find out more from Leonard Young, the CEO of Tricor Group. Leonard, good morning. How are you? Yes, good morning. Uh, nice to talk to you, Elliot. And yeah, I'd love to, to share our thoughts. <laughs> the name is Barity, Leonard. <laughs> I know it's tough, oh, but, but it's Barity in case you want to refer uh, Barity, to me by yeah. name. <laughs> it's early in the morning. Come on. It's no, no, no worries. I mean, I, I don't take it personally. Exactly. I, I, I just thought it would make the conversation a lot easier if I told you that from yeah. the start. Yeah. So, Leonard, you were on Money FM about a year ago talking about the impact of RCEP on APEC oh, trade right, and yeah. investment. And I think Elliot remembers that. I'm kind of new here, uh, but Elliot remembers that. So let's talk about your analysis of sentiments on the ground in regard to this one year on. Yeah, look, I think the, the analysis is pretty accurate. In the year 19 to 20, especially in 20, globally, we all took a dive, FDI all around the world. Uh, but Asia in particular, I think, uh, just you know, kind of like uh, flattened out or reduced at a much lower rate. However, in 21, uh, and a lot of this data is about, uh, there's a time lag, but when you look at the, the latest data that's coming out, uh, you know, especially towards the latter part of 21 and coming into 22, the global economies that have come out of uh, COVID, and in particular this, this latest Omicron wave, uh, have done particularly better than, than the economies that are still uh, somewhat battling uh, Omicron. So in that sense, uh, we see the, the the dividends for foreign direct investments emanating from the United States, North America, Europe, uh, but also uh, here uh, in particular uh, in, in, in Asia and Asia. Okay. Uh, ending on that note, talking about Asia, right? Uh, where does China factor into all of this? Look, uh, we see uh, some of the resilience uh, in Chinese FDI as well, I think. Similarly, in, in the in the 20 to 19 year, there was a period of lull, and there was the same all around the world. And uh, coming into 21, uh, we do see uh, a single-digit growth in in terms of FDI flows. Uh, but of course, in particular, you know, the regions that experience a much bigger decline in 20, but came out of Omicron earlier, they have a much bigger uh, movement in the 21 year. So, so a lot of it depends on the base. Yeah. Leonard, I'd like to go back to the question I asked at the start, uh, which you didn't quite address, RCEP and the role that it has played in terms of improvement in sentiment around Asia. What's your assessment of that role that agreements such as RCEP uh, are playing here? Yeah, I think that that is a fundamental um, uh, 
you know, dividend for, for, for the ASEAN region in particular, uh, we all know is the 10 plus 5 country. So uh, economically, it's the largest trading bloc. And I think what's particularly um, beneficial to, to ASEAN and Singapore, for that matter, is that it encapsulates a lot of these regional trades and recognizes that products today go through a very complicated value chain uh, across several nations. So, so RCEP is not just a trade agreement, it's a multilateral trade agreement. That's point number one. Mm. Uh, point number two is that it opens up uh, opportunities to really reset uh, the e-commerce world. So it, it's encouraging a lot of nations to put in place you know, digital IP rights, uh, e-commerce rules, uh, consumer protection, etc. So I think that's going to open up uh, a massive amount of, of trade uh, and also uh, market opportunities uh, for small, medium enterprises to be able to, you know, engage with their clients more directly uh, and, and bring the world much closer together. Okay, so we've talked about RCEP uh, and the, the impact and, and the role that it plays. We also talked about the global FDI flows and, and certain trends, including China, and where it factors into all of this. I mean, th- there's quite a bit of information there, Leonard. Looking at 2022, though, what is the outlook for FDI then? Yeah, look, I, I think going in towards the end of 21, the trends definitely showed uh, increase uh, in global FDI. And, and that was really coming off COVID depressions uh, in, in 20. But I think, in, you know, especially in 22, especially with, with growth towards, you know, technology and change economically around the world, I, I think this is actually a very bullish trend. Uh, barring, of course, some of the more recent turbulence that we get with the with the you know with the current war in 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 Ukraine and yeah. so on, yeah. uh, but the long term trend is fundamentally uh, RCEP, the you know the the demographic dividend, government investments, and so on. It's actually pointing to to the right direction. We're very optimistic, and we see a lot of our clients uh, resetting their supply chains oh. um, and really utilizing ASEAN. Singapore as a platform uh, for, develop, you know, for, for business development. In the long term, though, in your experience as business expansion specialists, what do you think Asia, uh, in terms of the governance as well as the businesses, ought to be doing to maintain this momentum or even speed it up? I think RCEP was the step in the right direction. And what, what they want to do is really uh, take advantage of the digital economy as well. So I think, uh, you know, having the, the, the fundamental economy in terms of trade and manufacturing and so on, that's been pretty well established. But I think on the digital side, it's going to be where it will make a difference from 22 onwards. And I think if, if governments can think ahead and usher in the right, you know, regulatory and operating environment for cons- consumer protection rights, e-commerce and so on, I think it's going to be the next wave of development. And I think on the services sector as well, you saw, you know, a lot of technology in factories, but I think today you're going to see a lot more technology permeate in the services sector because a lot of machine learning, artificial intelligence, AI, will today be able to do a lot of things in, in, in the white, traditional white collar. So give you an example uh, in my field, you're going to find very soon, even right now, there are corporations where they're utilizing technology and there will come a day when a CPA, an accountant, will not need to know how to pass a journal entry because all of that will be done by, by machine. And so, you know, 
humans have to evolve to, to a much higher level of service. I don't know how to pass a journal entry. <laughs> Let it, I'm glad you segued into that because I want to do a bit of storytelling here. Uh, Tricor is one of Asia's leading business expansion specialists. You provide the building blocks for clients' business growth from incorporation to IPO. With what you just talked about, any chance you could share uh, a success story, uh, especially in the past two years that, that you guys have been a part of? Yeah, you know, you, you know, one of the things is is a lot of corporations talk about, you know, different tech and so on, mm. um, but they don't actually do it themselves. Uh, for for us at Trico, we've been on a almost a three year journey, um, okay. and we've been investing heavily in robotics. Uh, we partner up with a firm in in Silicon Valley called Automation Anywhere, and so today a lot of the form filling exercises in in our firm is actually done by machines, uh, and and the staff are, are doing more of the supervisory checking. Uh, functions, and you know, with today's big resonance as you read, you know, the millennials and so on, I think you know, it's a it, it's it's a waste of human talent to be able to engage a lot of the graduates today to do very fundamental, um, you know, uh, form filling exercise. So so we are uh, trying to practice what we preach as well mm-hmm. uh, by evolving our own internal infrastructure. And and it's been uh, you know it's been a big learning curve for us, but I'm amazed at the amount of tech uh, that is now permeating into the services sector. Mm. I'm sure you went through a lot of challenges during this transformation, during the transition. Talk to us a bit about what some of those challenges were and what the main strategies were to overcome those as you progressed. Yeah, in the you know in the in the 90s and early 2000, there was a there was a whole wave of business process outsourcing, uh, call centers you know being located in countries outside of your 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 main country. So I think in that sense, in that first wave, there was a sense of um, objection because it was kind of like you know you're taking away uh, our jobs and opportunities. Mm. Um, but if you take the second wave today with machine learning, uh, what's actually happening is that your your uh, your labor force right, right across the world. Uh, there is a sense that they are are objecting to doing some of these mundane stuff because humans want to be, you know, better utilize their skills. Mm. So technology today is actually less threatening because it's actually aiding the human to do the job much better. So think about it as, you know, when when you're writing a report and and you got uh, Grammarly. Uh, it, okay. it does a lot okay. of your, you know, you don't see Grammarly as taking away your job. You actually see it as a performance enhancer. So today with machine learning and, and robotic process automation, RPA is the, is the short form for it. It's actually helping uh, people to evolve and, and to be able to leverage themselves much better. So I think the, the objection rates um, and the thought process is very different from the first wave in, you know, in the 90s and 2000s with regards to the, you know, BPO as, uh, you know, uh, to put this in context. Mm, it's kind of like spell check, making my English worse. But I am, uh, <laughs> I, I, no, I think you bring up a, a really good point. And, and, but I see the competition different, like we tend to think of it, oh, the humans competing with the machines. But what if the competition is really where the organization itself is resisting allowing the machines uh, technology to assist the humans? I mean, and then the technology advances far faster. How do you find that balance? Yeah, you know, I think this is where, uh, you know, leadership uh, is essential because people are very much emotional beings. 
and they need a good sense of confidence in their leadership, tomorrow is going to be better than today. And I think with the advent of machines, you know, it's it's a little bit like the time when, you know, when the combustion, you know, engine came and, and motor vehicles kind of like took over from the horse cart, you know, in, the, in you know, almost 100 years ago. And, you know, it's no point burying your head in the sand and saying, you know, you, 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 you reject machine learning and robotics and so on. Yeah. You're just going to leave your organization behind. Your staff are going to feel frustrated and your competitors are just going to get an advantage uh, over your business. Right. And I think as ASEAN evolves from, you know, just like what you see in China, uh, heavy manufacturing to eventually to, you know, high tech and services and consumer tech, you're going to find that you need the people to be able to also evolve to do these higher forms of services. And I think Singapore is an excellent example where the government's, you know, seeded a lot of tech startup. And that's really what you want the, the, the people to be focused on, because a lot of the traditional service sector as well, uh, in terms of, as I, as I said, in my industry, bookkeeping, form filling, all that um, will be, you know, is being rapidly uh, consumed by, by, by machines today. Considering the current climate and what you said about leadership, let's talk about what business leaders ought to be doing at this point in terms of taking their company further. If they're looking to expand, what's your advice to them? If they're looking to take their valuation from millions to billions, what's your advice to them? Look, I think, you know, in in terms of uh, what's happening today in the markets, it's, it's highly volatile. Um, but it's sometimes in the volatility and in the midst of a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, convulsions that, that opportunities arise. I think ASEAN uh, in particular still offers tremendous opportunity, whether it be, you know, um, building out your business in the services sector uh, or also in the, you know, in the manufacturing. To give you an example, the last two years we've engaged and assisted over 20 solar manufacturers enter into Vietnam. And much of that market entry uh, has relied on, you know, creating the, the regional office and center uh, in Singapore. So in that sense, you know, we see uh, plenty of opportunities. But I think the companies that are considering this, they've got to get the fundamentals together. They've got to get the positive recurring cash flows in the business. Otherwise, uh, you know, the opportunities are there. But as a business, they may not have, you know, the, the investment capabilities as we speak. So addressing the fundamentals of your business, ensuring that your recurring cash flows are coming in uh, today will, will, will give, your, you, know, will give you the, the upper edge to, to make those necessary investments. We've been speaking with Leonard Young, who is the CEO of Trico Group. Uh, Leonard, appreciate your time this morning. You take care and stay safe, yeah? You're welcome. Okay, thank you. Have a good morning. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.